You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Again to Galatians chapter 1, the series that uh, is under our consideration this evening. From the book of Galatians, we're thinking together about free indeed, how to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ, how to employ and enjoy your freedom in Christ. And so this morning, I begin a message which I'm going to complete this evening about your experience with the Lord Jesus, your experience. I'm speaking there specifically about that moment when you trusted Christ. Now, I know we not only are saved at a moment in time, we are being saved day by day by the life of Christ. The Apostle Paul says we are saved by his life. But look with me, if you will, please, beginning with verse 11, Galatians chapter 1. I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation or my lifestyle in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I abode with him fifteen days, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. Then, fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. I want you to notice verse 6, if you will, please. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. What the Apostle Paul was saying, as I was taught more by the Holy Spirit during that three years in the wilderness and then my 14 years of ministry following that time, than those men had learned walking with Jesus in the flesh during that same time. God showed me the reality of the gospel of grace. Let's pray together. Father, our prayer is that this evening you would find us totally surrendered to you. We are aware, Heavenly Father, that there is a sense of anticipation about what we can, can be a part of as we worship you with our hearts and with our lips, sing your praises. And Father, I pray that uh, as our choirs share with us and lead us in this worship experience, 
that our hearts would indeed go out to you in praise and adoration, for you are the one who saves us. By your grace we have been called. Out of your grace you reveal Christ Jesus to us so that we might have your salvation. And so, Father, I pray that you'd find our hearts giving you honor and praise for that. And I pray, Lord, at the invitation time, in a few moments, that as your Holy Spirit brings conviction to our heart, that many people would trust in Jesus. And I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our Savior, who is the Master of our lives. Amen. Thank you. Would you please be seated? Let me ask you to keep your Bible open to the book of Galatians. For this evening, I simply want to continue and complete the message which I began this morning. We're thinking together about your experience in Christ. Now, I think it's important for you to understand the significant role that the Apostle Paul played in the early church. You will remember that some of the marks of a genuine apostle were that they had met with Jesus, that they had known him in the flesh. And I want to remind you that uh, something rather strange happened immediately following the ascension of Christ. You remember that our Lord Jesus said to the apostles, I want you to go back. I want you to remain in Jerusalem. Wait there until the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Then you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. In fact, he said, unto other, other most parts of the world. Now, you will remember that of the 12 apostles now, one was missing because Judas, of course, the betrayer, had hung himself. And it's very interesting to me that men have a tendency always to run ahead of God. For we discover that when they went to the upper room, instead of waiting upon the Holy Spirit, they took matters in their own hands to try to fill that position vacated by Judas. And so you remember they had an election. And they chose two men. And of the two, now can you imagine this uh, as a way of, uh, of finding the person who should fill that slot of the 12 apostles? They chose two men. God only had one in mind, but they chose two. And they could not decide between the two, and so they cast lots. And they chose one of those two to fill that particular position of apostleship. Now, that all happened before the Holy Spirit moved upon them. It is my belief that they moved ahead of God because the Apostle Paul was waiting in the wings. At that time, he was a Jewish zealot. At that time, he was training at the feet of the most renowned Jewish professor of the law, Gamaliel. At that time, as Saul, he was involved in persecuting the church. As a matter of fact, you remember he was just a young man and he held the coats of those who took off their cloaks so that they might stone Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church. You will remember that in his zeal, Saul was on his way to the city of Damascus to find Christians who had been so persecuted they'd been dispersed. And on the road, he met the Lord Jesus in a remarkable experience. And, of course, he went on to Damascus. There, his eyes were open. He saw the truth. He embraced Christ as Savior. He was baptized. And then, of course, you remember that because people were so afraid of him, he went into seclusion for three years. That's when the Holy Spirit began teaching him. And that's why the Apostle Paul says later on, I am an apostle born out of due season. I came later on, but I believe he was the one who was to fill that slot of the 12 apostles. As I said this morning, 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, I believe we can attribute 
to the Apostle Paul's human authorship, although the Holy Spirit most certainly was the one who was writing that through him. Now, Paul is writing to the Christians in Galatia. He is speaking to them in rather stern words about the legalistic turn they had taken. And that is a good word which ought to be used because they had returned to the law. The word for that is religion, which means a return to bondage, a return to the law. And as I've said earlier, the pendulum in their life had swung right through grace and it moved right back into this rigid adherence to the law. And they had come to the point where the comfort they felt in their hearts was the comfort of keeping the law. They felt, well, if I dot all my I's and cross all my legal T's, if I get up at the right time, go to bed at the right time, if I have my quiet time at the right time, if I perform all these duties appropriately, then I certainly must be pleasing to God. And the Apostle Paul is going to show them how an attitude like that denies what is the unconditional love of the Lord Jesus for his children. That is a love which is not determined by our behavior. While our blessings are a discipline, is based upon our behavior, God's love is unconditional for us. And that is the message of the grace of God. And so the Apostle Paul is writing the churches in Galatia to sternly rebuke them because of that. Now, at the outset, because he's going to be so stern, he establishes his credentials with them. He speaks of his experience in Christ and much of that I read to you just a few moments ago, you following along in your scripture. So we're thinking together about your experience with Christ. What happened when you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? What has happened in the time since you opened your heart, having repented of your sin and turned to Christ, embraced Him by faith as a Savior and as the Lord of your life? What has happened in your life since that time? And so with your Bible open to Galatians chapter 1, let's review just for a moment those first four characteristics which I, I mentioned to you this morning. First of all, if you have had a genuine salvation experience, it will be something that you should be eager to share with others, something you are eager to share with others. The Apostle Paul speaks in verse 11 about this gospel or this good news. We get our word evangelism, by the way, from the Greek word that is used here, euangelizo. You, we speak of uh, being uh, good or so sometimes people speak about euthanasia. Thanatos is the word for death. And they say there's such a thing as good killing or mercy killing. Of course, that is abhorrent to the Christian faith. But you, Angelizo, good, the good messenger. Uh, the word angel comes from that same root, the messenger of the good news, evangelism, telling other people about Jesus. And so if you truly have been born again, if you are a child of God, that should be something that you are eager to share with other people. Secondly, we noted that it should be your experience with Christ and not your experience with someone else or someone else's experience which you vicariously enjoy. You know, a football game is a rather strange thing. You have 75,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise, watching 22 men on the field who desperately need a rest. And um, 
Get, it gets down there to the close of that football game and uh, things are really tense and tight and, and uh, finally a gap is open and that running back takes that ball, plunges across the line. Everybody jumps to their feet as the seconds tick off the clock and they jump up and down and say, we won, we won, we won. No, the truth of the matter is they won, we watched. Now, what happens so often in Christian churches is that people come to church and they hear the testimony of others. They get excited as indeed we ought to get excited. But I want to tell you something. Do not substitute your excitement in someone else's victory for your victory. You see, your personal experience with Christ ought to be your experience with Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, I want to tell you something. I didn't receive this from man. Neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus met me personally. He revealed himself to me. And so what do you remember about what you call your experience with Christ? Do you remember what others have said, what others have done? Uh, I know many people who go through serious doubts about their salvation because they remember messages, for instance. They say, well, that preacher said, I, if you haven't ever knelt down and prayed, I've had people say to me, well, I don't think I was kneeling down. Or if you have not said, God, I'm a sinner, come into my heart and say, I don't know whether I said those words. Well, the issue is not your experience with another person. It is what was happening between you and Jesus at that time. You see, it ought to be your experience with Christ. And then we noted thirdly, it should mark a definite change in your behavior. For you have heard, he says in verse 13, of my conversation, which doesn't mean just speech. It means my lifestyle. You've heard of the way I used to be in the Jews' religion. Beyond measure, I persecuted the church of God. I wasted it, profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation. Why, well, he says, I was more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers than anybody. And so <clears throat> you've got to understand that when he met Jesus, he did a literal 180. This man who was on the road to, to capture and to see killed believers in Christ became a believer in Christ. And so his life did a 180. This man who was immersed in the keeping of the law was now immersed in Christ. And from that moment on, his life was totally different. And if you say, well, I've met Jesus, but there's not been much change in my life, then I seriously think you should question whether you've ever met Jesus because that experience with Christ will mark a definite change in your behavior. Someone said, but preacher, you don't expect any overnight changes. And as I said this morning, if Christ coming into your life doesn't produce any overnight changes, then something is seriously wrong in your relationship with him because he is a miracle working God. If he's going to save you out of hell and into heaven, he can certainly deal with the smaller issues which you face right now in terms of your behavior and its sinfulness. And so they should be marked a definite change in your behavior. Finally this morning, I mentioned that your experience with Christ ought to reveal the sovereign grace of God. I'm very disturbed when in someone's testimony about what they call their conversion experience, the primary subject is themselves. Here's the way I was. Here's the way I live. Here's how terribly, here's how glamorously terrible I was. Here's what I did. Here's how wonderful I've become. Now, you see, the Apostle Paul, if you will, notice there, said, when it pleased God, it was God who separated me from my mother's womb. It was God who called me by his grace. It was God who revealed his son in me. It is all of God. What we do is receive Christ 
by faith as our Savior. All the saving is done by the Lord God. He's the one who sent his son before we even pronounced his name or were even born. He is the one who is an act of his grace, sent the Holy Spirit to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He is the one who lifted up Christ before you and saw that you heard the gospel message. He is the one who gave you faith to believe in Jesus. He has 100% of this. All you do is receive it by the faith that he gave you so that you might believe in Christ. And so your experience with Christ should focus on the sovereign grace of God. Now, three more. I think it's so important. These, these, these final three are so critical that it's absolutely urgent for you to let God write these across your heart this evening. This is number five. Your experience with Christ should stand the test of time. Preacher, what do you mean by that statement? Well, it ought to be something more than a bottle rocket that went off in your life during starlight or some revival meeting or some worship service some years ago, and it spent itself and was gone, and it's back to life as usual for you. Your experience with Christ should stand the test of time. If you had that experience and have not been much since, no devotional life, no dedication to the Lord, no changes year by year in your growth as a believer in Christ, then that experience does not stand the test of time. You see, someone asked one time, how do you know if a person is genuinely saved? Now, there are a lot of evidences of salvation, but I'll tell you one great evidence that most people forget, and it is that you can know that you are really a child of God if over the years he treats you like his child with both blessing and discipline if he treats you like one of his kids. But the only way you're going to find that out is over a period of time. And that doesn't mean the only way you're going to know you're saved is over a period of time. But it just takes time to reveal the significance, the depth of what has happened in your life with Christ. There is in this church, he's not here, he's, he's in another state this evening. There is in this church a fine young man who just a few years ago, after being way away from God in sin, opened his heart, received Christ as his Savior. I mean, the, the, the lights came on immediately. There was a change in his life. I was out of town. He called my motel room long distance to tell me what was happening so that we could pray together over the telephone when he had received Christ as his Savior. The minute I got back into town, we met together. And he said to me, I want to start going around and sharing what has happened in my life in all these other churches. And my uh, expression of concern to him was to open the Scripture and to point to exactly what happened with the Apostle Paul. I said, now listen, the Apostle Paul said, I'm a Christian. I want to go share. I'm ready to go. Man, I am so on fire. Nothing wrong with telling people what's happened in your lives. But I want to remind you that the Apostle Paul had three years of hidden teaching. He was tucked away in Arabia with God, the Holy Spirit, 
as his teachers. And over the test of time, what happened? Did he get disappointed? Did he get discouraged? Did he say, man, listen, they won't put me on the first string Christian squad, and so I'm going to quit? He just kept learning and learning and learning and learning to the point when finally he began to surface. He says here in this passage of Scripture, I went to Jerusalem. I wanted to know the truth about what I was experiencing. I stayed those 15 days with Peter. I went back. I was gone another 14 years. I came back, and the longer I live with Jesus, the more I learn, the more I grow, the more appreciative I am of him, and the more my powerful my testimony is to the extent, he says, that when I came to the conference of Jerusalem, I met with the bigwigs to see if they had more to tell me, and I discovered that I had something to tell them instead. It stood the test of time. There's so many people for whom what they call their conversion experience is just, a, as I said, a bottle rocket. It's just a, a flash pan experience. And you turn around a month later or two months later or three months later, and whatever it was that they call their experience with Christ has fizzled. It's gone. They just sort of come to church. They just occasionally show up. They're not really in the Word. Jesus is not the Lord of their life. They have lapsed, and you say, well, what we need is a good follow-up program. Listen, we've got a good follow-up program in this church and in many other churches, but I'll tell you the best follow-up program in the world. This beats having organization. This beats having material for people to read. This beats having someone call you and keep you accountable every day. Not that anything's wrong with that, but I want to tell you something. You can train sinful flesh to make it look an awful lot like a Christian. The best follow-up program in all the world is to get saved in the first place. Because when you get genuinely saved, he lives within you. He work. In fact, the Apostle Paul said elsewhere, let the outworking of your faith be with fear and trembling, for it is God who works within you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He begins to be your follow-up program. Now, he uses people just like he uses church members. And I started meeting with this young man. And I watched as God began to move in his life. And that was some years ago. And only in this last year or so has God began to bring his life and his testimony and his, to the surface in preaching and teaching and using him. And you know something? I, I, I am so thrilled because now the things that he's, he's, he doesn't just shoot off his mouth. He doesn't say things that are, that are absolutely Nothing. Not there's anything wrong with youthful, wonderful enthusiasm. No, I'm not saying that. I think when you get saved, people ought to hear from you that you're saved. But I want to tell you something. They need to hear more than just for a week or two weeks or three weeks. They need to hear the rest of your life. It should stand the test of time. All right? It should stand the test of time. I want one of the biggest mistakes that we make is to sometimes somebody who, who is known before people, you know, somebody who is of note, gets saved. We immediately put them on a platform. We make a big deal out of their salvation. They share about, oh, man, how they came to know Jesus. And a month later, you see them in a liquor store or two months later, you hear how they're living like the devil out here someplace. And what's happened is, you see, you made more of who the man was than letting the man get alone with God and make a bunch out of who Jesus is, you see? And so it needs to stand the test of time. Are you with me on that? You understand what I'm saying? It needs to stand the test of time. Number six, your experience with Christ should be open to investigation. Your experience with Christ should be open to investigation. 
I talked to a man one time about his faith. I'll never forget what he said. He said, I don't, hey, hey, don't ask me questions about that. Why? Why well, I believe it. Only the devil would ask me questions like that. I said, whoa, wait a minute. I said, the Bible says prove yourself. It says examine yourself whether you be. Oh, no, no, no. He said, I think questions like that, that's straight of the devil. I don't even, he said, I don't even let myself question that. He said, well, if I ever question that, I might even start wondering whether I was saved. Let me tell you something. I knew the guy. He ought to wonder whether he was saved. That's why I was out there at the request of his wife to visit with him because she wondered whether he was saved. But see, what he had done is he had locked that, he had locked his mind up. You know why? I believe it was because he was deathly afraid if somebody got close to him about that issue, he would discover that he wasn't really saved. Now, your experience with Christ should be open to investigation. The Apostle Paul has said in verses 16 and 17, I took time. I went alone to be with the Lord. Then in verses 18 and 19, he tells about the question. He said, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. I stayed with him 15 days. I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, was the pastor of the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Look at what happened 14 years later. Chapter 2, verse 1. 14 years afterwards, I went up again to Jerusalem. I went with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. Now, notice this. I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately. He said, I sat down privately to them which were of reputation. He said, I went to the guys that were leading the church, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. I wanted to know, he said, if I was telling the right stuff. I wanted to make sure that I was not on an empty mission, that I was not deviating from the true gospel. And so what Paul was saying was, my life is open to investigation. My experience and my preaching is open to investigation. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you willing for people to ask probing questions about your walk with the Lord? I'm not talking about frivolous questions. Foolish and unlearned questions, the Bible says, avoid, okay? Just avoid foolish questions, you know, about your faith. Silly stuff. But serious questions about what it means to repent of sin. And what it means to have believed in Christ. And why we use a term like born again. And what differences it has made in your life. And how much in love with Christ you are now. And whether it has affected your whole life, including your pocketbook and your time, or whether it just gets you to church occasionally. Serious questions. Is Jesus Lord? What limits has he put around your life? What avenues of ministry has he opened for you? Serious question. What is his claim? What is his calling for you? What are his plans that he's revealed to you for the future? Serious questions. You ought to open your heart and be willing to undergo investigation. And sometimes an unwillingness to do that, saying, I don't want to answer any questions about this, how many times, if you are part of our evangelism explosion program, you go out, knock on doors is one of the extra, I love it. And you know, one of the things that I don't love, however, is hearing people say, although there's an answer for this and you can press on, but hearing people say, well, there's several things I don't talk about. I don't talk about religion. I don't take a talk about politics. And you know what? They make that, they, they, they think that sounds so sophisticated. Well, I don't talk about religion. And I don't talk about politics. Thank you. Well, let me tell you something. 
If you're not willing to talk to people about your relationship with Christ, it's highly possible the reason you don't talk about it is because you don't have it. And you're scared to death someone is going to get next to you with the truth. And so your experience with Christ should be open to investigation. And then this final characteristic of your experience with Christ. What have we said? So it should be something that you're eager to share with others. It should be your experience, not someone else's experience. It should mark a change in your behavior. It should reveal the sovereign grace of God. It should stand the test of time. It should be open to investigation. Number seven, it should bring joy to believers and conviction to sinners. When you share your experience with Christ, it ought to bring joy to the hearts of believers and conviction to the hearts of sinners. And look, if you will, please with me at verses 20 through 24. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth there in verse 20. When I came to the region of Syria and Cilicia, I was unknown by face under the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecutes us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. They said, praise God. As Brother Don says, the devil lost again. It ought to bring joy to the heart of believers. It ought to bring conviction to the heart of the non-believer. Now, when you share your experience with Christ, do believers rejoice? And when you share your experience with Christ to non-believers, do they say, <laughs> you, are you kidding? I know how you live. Your walk and your talk don't come out even. Or does it leave them with conviction in their heart that something is missing in their life that they desperately need? Your experience with Christ. Let me ask you a question. Is it real? Is it real? Can you say, I have met Christ as my Savior and my Lord? My life has changed. It'll never be the same. I'm unafraid to testify to it and unafraid to ask about it. And over time, I have sensed God drawing me closer and closer to himself. That's my experience with Christ. In just a few moments, let me say to you quite honestly, if you have never had such an experience, if you want to know what it is to be forgiven completely of your sin, born into the family of God, on your way to heaven, possessing his eternal life, I want to urge you to make your way to this altar in a few moments, find the hand of a counselor and say, look, I want to experience what it means to know Jesus. Just something that simple. Or I want to trust Christ. Or if you don't know what to say, they'll ask you a question and help you. You go to a counseling room. In a matter of minutes, they'll open the Word of God to you. They'll pray with you. They'll give you some information to help you grow in your newfound experience with Christ. Just think, in, in, in less time than it would take me to tell it, you can know that you're on your way to heaven. I mean, it's 20 minutes after 7. By 7.30, your heart. You could know Christ is in your heart. Why, can you imagine what it is to, to be born in the family of God, to know every sin you've ever committed has been washed away and that for the future, all those problems you have are going to be under the blood of Jesus that you're on your way to heaven, that he has a plan for you and that he's working things out in your life. So I would encourage you to step to the aisle and we stand in a few moments, make your way forward and say, look, I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior. I want to trust in Jesus as my Savior could be that God's spoken to your heart tonight. Maybe he's been speaking to your heart about becoming a part of this church family. I want to urge you to come forward when we stand in just a few moments and sing together. I want to urge you to come down here to this altar and just say, maybe you're a university student. 
You're just going to be here nine months. You say, man, is there really any sense of doing that? You need a church home. You ought to come under the watch care of this church. Let us love you, encourage you, rejoice with you, minister to you, and with you minister to us. Come be a part of what God is doing. If you're single, if you're a family, you ought to come as God speaks to your heart and say, you know, we worship here. We ought to join here. And I urge you to make that decision right now. I mean right now. And if you've never received the Christ who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, who's alive today as your Savior, you ought to make that decision this evening. And the way we do that here is in a few moments I'm going to pray. When I say men, we're going to stand. Our counselors will be here. And if your desire is to experience Christ, I want to urge you to step to the aisle alone or with others. Make your way forward. Find a counselor and say, look, this is the decision I want to make with Christ tonight. If you've joined our church in recent days, maybe you were baptized this morning or this evening or Wednesday night, whenever, I want to ask you to come and just be seated over here to my left, to your right, so that we can introduce you to your new church family here in just a few moments. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. And afterwards, we're going to stand. We're going to sing all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. I surrender all. Father in heaven, as we pray just now, my heart's cry is that there would be those who would say, I've never had an experience with Christ, and I want to know Jesus as my Savior. Oh, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict them of the reality of sin, that it separates, that the wage of sin is death and eternity in hell. But, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be so real to them that tonight they would open their heart to Christ, receive him by faith as Savior. Lord, I pray they'd make that decision now. I pray, Lord, that individuals would join this church, families would join this church. I pray, Heavenly Father, that, that those who've experienced Christ and would want to express that would make their way to this altar. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.